0: Today called I have decided. Everybody say it with me. I have decided. All right. So get your message notes out, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight, and we're going to start in verse twenty-seven. And we're going to ask the question today: What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean? What do you think of when I say you ought to follow Jesus? In our in, in our culture. we have, um, the word follow is interesting because social media has sort of taken it over, right? L- those of you who have Instagram accounts or, how many people in the room have Instagram, right? Yeah, oh, that's pretty good. How about Twitter? Anybody Twitter? Uh, Facebook? Whoa, yeah. So some of you like all three, but i just keep, <laughs> I'm connected, I'm well connected. And you, and, and the goal is to get all these followers, Right? We've got all these followers, and, and sometimes, you know, you guys, like, like I love following people. I love, to, I love to sort of follow people at One Chapel on Instagram. I, I, as your pastor, I get to see what you're doing. <laughs> Some of you are like, Pastor Ross is following me. What am I going to do? i got to get a new Instagram account. <laughs> My favorite really is Twitter. Uh, Twitter, you know, F- Facebook, I can't, I don't do Facebook at all. I, I just can't go there. Too many, too many diatribes and crazy people talking about stuff. And, and, but Twitter, 140 characters, man, say it short and sweet and get to the point. I can, I can buy that, right? I can do that. And so, uh, you know, getting followers, but sometimes, sometimes some of you will like blow up my feed, <laughs> Right? Like, I'm following you, and you're like picture after picture after picture, and then s- sometimes you get on some rant on Twitter, and you just post after post after post, and what, what are we all tempted to do when somebody does that? Unfollow. It's so easy. You could just hit the little button, unfollow. And then later, if you want to follow them again, you can follow it. Follow them again. My fear is that we've begun to apply that meaning of following Jesus to following Jesus. It, it, we, we follow him until things are inconvenient or we don't like what's happening or what's being done, and then we unfollow. And then we follow, and then we, then we unfollow, and then we, then we follow again. We unfollow, and then, you know, it's all kind of up to us. It's so easy to just follow and unfollow. Somehow we've lowered the bar in our, in our culture, to what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know if you've ever heard the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Yeah. Some of you know that song. Some of you have been in church a long time. So others of you, like, you have no idea. You've never heard that song. It's an old hymn. And I learned this week there's a story behind that hymn. And the story comes from northeast India, a little village called Assam and in the 1800s there was a Welsh missionary there who was sharing the gospel trying to get the gospel to into that culture and into the, those villages and it was a very dangerous place it was a brutal place there was you know people who would collect heads you know they call, they would call them headhunters it was a it was a really difficult place for the gospel to take root and finally finally one man one family decided to profess their faith in Jesus as a result the community the the the, the village they resisted rejected them the chief the chief of the village came and took them to the center of the village and invited everybody to come and and demanded that they, they renounce Jesus, renounce this faith, that they would recant. And they threatened their lives, said they were going to kill them. And the man stood there and he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. They said, look, we're going to kill your kids. We're going to shoot your kids. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And they killed his children, shot them through with arrows. He stood there. They, 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 they warned him, we're going to continue to kill your family. We're going to kill your wife. We're going to kill you. You must renounce this. <laughs> and it, the, as the story goes, he said, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. And they killed his wife. Standing there, the chief said, This is that's it. You have nothing left to live for. Renounce this faith in Jesus. And he said, The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. No turning back. The interesting thing about the story is the man was killed, becomes a martyr. But that stuck in the life of the chief. And over time, something happened there. And that chief and many of those people standing there that day ended up giving their lives to Christ as a result of watching that display of faith. It's pretty profound, pretty amazing. And that song came from those words spoken by that martyr. I have decided to follow Jesus. It it changes the way you think about deciding to follow Jesus, doesn't it? That story changes the way you think about what it means to follow him. In an age of easy believism, we have lowered the standard for what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I think... 2016 is going to reveal that you and I need to be the people that will follow him and will follow him without any hesitation, without any resistance. So today we're going to look at what following Jesus means, not from our own interpretation, but from the scriptures in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Let's read it together. It's a story about Jesus. And his disciples, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? I've been to Caesarea Philippi. I went there on a trip. It is in this place near the Golan Heights where there are ruins from all of these pagan temples and pagan gods. And of course, in Jesus' day, he would have been walking past these things, and in a way, he would have been saying, um, so who do people say that I am in contrast to all these other deities? Who Who do people think that I am? And so he asked them, and they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets... Now, in that day, there have been, they would have understood reincarnation to be a thing. Elijah had long been dead. John the Baptist had been beheaded. They're like, man, it could, be, it could be one of these guys coming back from the dead. But what about you, he asked? What about you? And that's the question we have to ask today, isn't it? That's the question I stand before you asking today. What, what about you? Who do you say that Jesus is, he, he asks the disciples, he says, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Right answer, just not fully understood. You are the Messiah. This, this is the one who the people of God, the Jewish people have waited for, for hundreds of years. We've been waiting. We've been, we've been looking towards your coming. He didn't quite understand the way that Jesus was going to come. He, it was the right answer. It was the Sunday school answer. But Peter didn't get it. In fact, all the disciples and, and many of the followers of Jesus hoped that Jesus would actually overthrow Roman tyranny in the culture that they lived in. And so they hoped he would be this king who would come and overthrow this, these powers. But that wasn't God's plan. Interestingly enough, Jesus in verse 30, he warns them. Once Peter says this, he says, don't tell anybody. Why would he say don't tell anybody? Aren't we supposed to tell people about Jesus? Here's the problem. The disciples didn't quite have it yet. They didn't understand how this was going to unfold. Jesus knew the way it was going to unfold, and he's about to teach it to them. But it hadn't gotten down into their souls yet. Look what verse 31 says. It says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Everybody say suffer. Suffer "Suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. It's interesting. Jesus tells them this story over and over again in the Gospels, and they still don't, they can't quite grasp it. What does it mean? He spoke plainly to them about this, Mark records. He's very plain. He's very open about this. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. If you ever have a chance to rebuke Jesus, I just say don't. It's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for people around you. It can really lead to some embarrassing moments. But Peter doesn't realize this yet, and so he rebukes Jesus. He says, this isn't going to happen to you. We can't let this happen to you. Peter did not know yet what following Jesus really looked like. And what I would challenge all of you today with is many of us don't quite yet understand what following Jesus really means. And that's why we're here. That's why we're looking into the scriptures. He says, he, says, he took him aside and began to rebuke him, verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan, <laughs> Satan. I'll be called anything by Jesus, just don't call me Satan. He said, You do not have in mind, and I want you to take your pen and I want you to underline this phrase right here in your Bible. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How much of our lives are about human concerns? And how much are about God's concerns? It's a good question. How often are we thinking about our own desires and designs versus how often we're thinking about God's desires and designs? So then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, here's going to define what following looks like, and they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now today we see the cross as a really nice piece of jewelry. It's a really nice piece that you wear around your neck. They wouldn't have heard it like this. They would have heard it as Jesus talking about an instrument of, of, of punishment and torture. They would have heard it through a different lens than you and I hear it through. They would, have, they would have listened to it knowing that crucifixion is part of their culture. And it's what people get when they are violating of the laws and the rules. And so th- there, was a, there was a thing here. Jesus was saying, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. It would be like, I mean, kind of be like us wearing, um, you know, wearing little electric chairs around our necks. <laughs> right, like this, this, is, this, is, this is the way. It was, a different, it was a different thing. He was saying, you've got to give something up. You've got to be willing to die. That's what he was saying. And then he goes on and refines the definition. Verse 35, look what it says. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now think about this. Jesus says that everyone who's trying to save their life, trying to make sure that their life is full on their own, making their lives all about what they want, all about what they like, all about what they're trying to accomplish the people who are trying to save their life get this newsflash you're gonna lose it everybody's gonna lose their lives probably sooner rather than later but everybody's gonna die everybody's gonna die Every, I mean all the business people that are trying so hard to make money all the athletes all the doctors all the lawyers all the everybody everybody's gonna die you're gonna lose it all. You're gonna lose your soul. You're gonna lose everything. It reminds me of the, the guy that died and somebody said, well, how much did he leave? And they said, all of it. <laughs> you there's no, you can't, you, can't, you can't take any with you. You're gonna lose it all. Even the, even, even the people that eat organic food, they will die. They will ultimately die. I don't know why the organic food people always look a little more sickly than others. I'm just Okay, move on. I'm moving on. Even those people are going to die, but they're just going to die with a nasty taste in their mouth. is <laughs> what is going to But here's what Jesus, here's what Jesus says. Everybody's going to lose it all. But he says if you will lose your life for me, if you'll lose your life for me and for the sake of the gospel, the good news, he says, then you will find a life that you could never imagine or produce for yourself. He goes on in verse 36. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul. So many people are losing their soul in our culture and in our society and in our world. Their own pursuits are causing them to to become soulless. They're losing touch with what's reality and what's real and they're trying trying to grab onto everything they can. They're trying to save everything on their own. Verse 37, he says, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What can anyone give? What what, what would you want to give just to save your soul? And the answer is everything. Wouldn't you want to give everything just to rescue your soul from death? From a soulless existence? From a lifeless existence? So many people are trying to pursue adventure or they're pursuing money or they're pursuing um immorality they're just trying to they're doing anything they can to fill their lives with something because they're dead on the inside and they're trying to make themselves feel alive this is what jesus is talking about this is something we think about at funerals wow that happened fast life is fragile We ought to think about it a little lot more often than just when we go to a funeral. Verse 38 says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. He kind of finishes the whole thing off by saying, look, I don't want you to be ashamed and embarrassed of this life that you're called to. He's defining what it means to be a follower, not ashamed, not embarrassed, holding nothing back, but giving it all to Jesus. Why am I teaching about this today? I'm teaching about this because all of us are at different levels of followership. We're all at different levels of following and we're discovering what it means and, and Jesus himself keeps asking us to give up. More for his sake. Because that's the secret to receiving life. We, we want all the stuff that we can get in this world and Jesus. The problem is you got your hands so full of stuff you can't receive him. You gotta let you gotta let go. Rick Warren has this really uh, interesting outline that he teaches his church. And I, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was unique here because it, it describes how Jesus dealt with people and it describes kind of how church really works. Because listen, make no mistake, as your pastor, I'm try my goal, my role is to try to move you to following closer to Jesus. You think that there's some other motivation, but that's it. He wants me to come to church. Yeah, I want you to come to church, but you know what happens when you come to church? You gather with other people, you remind yourself of who Jesus really is, you experience the presence of God. There is something that begins to to happen to your soul, you're renewed. There's something that's so good for you when you attend church. It's not just about a ritual. Look, here's, here's what Rick Warren says. He says, I think this is a, a really good idea for us to see. Crowd, Jesus was cons- all uh, surrounded by crowds very often. And the, and the word to everyone in the crowd was just come and see. Come and see what Jesus is doing. <laughs> Jesus was multiplying fish and, and he was doing miracles and healing people. This, look, the crowds are often, I mean, this, this is a crowd right here. We're all just hanging out. There's a crowd of people. I think people should be able to come and see. Come and see what Jesus is doing. Your neighborhood is a crowd of people. Your, your workplace, there's a crowd of people there, and they're interested. They're wondering. They're wondering about you. Some of you more than others, but they're, they're wondering about you. The <laughs> second thing is congregation. If you go... if you if you go the next step, there's a congregation, and, and those are the people that, that we've said, come and join us. And a whole bunch of you are part of the congregation of one chapel. And there was a whole bunch of people that were part of the congregation that, that Jesus had of people that consistently joined him and became a part of what he was doing. Then it goes to committed, people who are really committing their lives, and they're going to come, and they're going to grow. There was a whole bunch of people who just listened to things Jesus said and then left. But there was some people who said, I'm gonna commit to this. This is a commitment and I'm gonna come and I'm gonna grow and growing together. That's what we're trying to do. That's what groups are all about. That's what small groups are about. I want you to grow by being in community. That's what Catalyst is about. Catalyst is is a discipleship process that takes you through a small group classroom experience. It is so powerful. Every Sunday, in fact, you know if we if we if we take um, there's an opportunity to grow every sunday when you come to church you can come you can hear the scripture but then i think at the 11:30 service during this service there's a there's a thing happening upstairs called seven essentials where people are being trained in what the seven essential things they need to know to walk with jesus to begin to follow him i, I just think there's a there's a commitment here to come and grow and I'm trying to encourage you to move down this list and to grow stop staying on the outside get on the inside and start growing start engaging look hey this week it's called first week right we're gonna pray we're gonna pray at 6 a.m everybody can make it at 6 a.m oh you know why because there's nothing else really happening And, and some of you are working the graveyard shift so just come at the end this is an interesting thing. An interesting thing. What's going to happen is there's going to be a bunch of people who are desperate for Jesus, and they're going to come, and they're going to pray all week, and God's going to change their 2016. That's what's going to happen. That's why we do it. You can't, if you, listen, no, no guilt, no pressure. Well, there's pressure, but there's no guilt. There's pressure, but there's no guilt. If I guilt you into doing stuff, it doesn't work. I gave that up a long time ago. The Holy Spirit has to do it. core is the next thing, come and serve. These are people that have, they're not just thinking about their own growth, they're thinking about the growth of others. They're thinking about using their gifts to serve other people and take care of others. This is a group of people that Jesus had around him, and a group of people that we have right here at One Chapel. In fact, right now in the kids area, there's a whole bunch of people who've committed to train your kids, to encourage them, to watch over them, to pray over them, to teach them Bible stories, this happens all over the landscape of one chapel. People who are willing to serve. Team one, where are you? Team one, come on, baby. Yeah, these are people who've decided, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of others. And you think that I'm just trying to get you to do something when in reality what I'm trying to do is get the grip of your own life off of yourself and relinquish it to Jesus and practice serving. Why do you need practice? Because you ain't good at it. It's true. It's what you learn to do in a family. And since most of you have been raised in either a dysfunctional or divorced family, according to the statistics, you need another family to train you how to serve. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this. But finally, there is a point at which you get to when you've 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 joined the crowd, you've you've made yourself a part of the congregation, you've committed to grow, you've you've become concerned about others and you're serving, and you've joined this core of people, and finally there's a a commissioned life. A commissioned life. And a commissioned life looks like this. The, the, expr- the expression, the encouragement is come and die. Come and lose it all. Come and give it all away because what you can get in return is greater than anything you could come up with on your own. And this is the calling of every Christian. This is the calling of every believer. I know you're sitting out there and you're thinking, oh, that's just for the real serious people that really want to follow Jesus. No, this is every person that God puts his finger on, calls their heart to himself. This is every person he's calling them to give up. To allow him to have his way. I want you to move down the list. Not for me, but for you. I want you to move down the list because I think this is what God does in a person's life. As he opens them up and they begin to exchange their life for the life that Jesus has for them. That's what I want you to do. I want you to say, I'm going to exchange my life for the life that Jesus wants for me. That's what he said in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come so that you'll have life and life to the full. Life more abundantly. We don't just live for what is here and now we live for what will be. The people who follow Jesus are not just the people who live for what is now. They live for what will be. Okay, not just in the future, not just eternal life, but here, let me let me float a concept for you. There is an idea here that when we live for God, when we follow him and we give everything, we're beginning to create an, a new future for him to work in our lives and for others whose lives we will touch. It creates, it creates a new future. That's what happens when we decide. Now, most people, they get, they, get, they get stuck on happiness. I don't know. That doesn't really make me happy. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, whatever makes you happy, man? Or, or this, uh, well, your happiness is really the most important thing. I just want you to be happy. Actually, I don't think, I, I think God wants you to be happy. I know preachers have talked about happiness definitions over and over again. But here's the thing. Did you know that Jesus in the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 he has a whole string of things that he says here's the people who are blessed and the word for blessed is happy or fortunate blessed are people happy are people but here's here's the thing there's only two ways to come to god one way is no conditions i, I owe you my life I, you don't owe me anything the other way is i'm coming to you but you better make it worth it i got some conditions I'm coming to you but I need this and this and this and this. Here's what Jesus says. He says something about, about happiness, about being fortunate, about being fulfilled. Jesus never says, "Happier are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. You know the problem with our culture? We're all hungry and thirsting for happiness. Happiness can never be accomplished without something greater. It's always a byproduct. Happiness, if, if happiness is the goal, it destroys you. If my own personal happiness is my own goal, then it will destroy me because I'll use everything to satisfy this fleshly desire. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Look what he says. He says, blessed, happy, fortunate are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they will be filled. They'll be filled. So to pursue happiness, if you pursue happiness, you get neither righteousness nor happiness. Think about that. If you pursue happiness, you get neither righteousness nor happiness. If you pursue righteousness, you get both. The less you're concerned about happiness and the more you're concerned about God, the happier you will be. This is what Jesus is saying, but we don't, we don't really believe it. We only believe it as far as the most difficult thing we're facing. <laughs> and then we stop. Anything that is worthwhile is worth doing well and worth fighting for, worth going through some difficulty, worth going through some adversity. Our dads used to say that to us. Our dads used to teach us that. We have to understand what God, our Heavenly Father, is saying is, I have your best in mind. The more you're concerned about happiness, the more miserable you're going to be. Paul describes it in the next passage that's on your message notes, and that's, I'm going to give you homework. It's all, it's, 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 I'm going to give you homework so you can... So you can kind of meditate on how Paul describes it. Here's a life that's full of yourself. Here's a life that's full of God and the difference. Because what, what we're asking for, what I'm trying to help you do is move from no commitment to total commitment. What, I'm trying, what we're all trying to do, what we're all, where we're all trying to go is we're trying to move from a consumer mentality, which we have in our culture, to a contributor to the family. What we're trying to do is move from Jesus as Savior to Jesus as Lord. Yeah. As the one who determines everything. Now look, this is a week for you to, to make some hardcore decisions about 2016. On Wednesday night, we're going to do baptism. A bunch of you need to be baptized. A bunch of you have, you, you're baptized as a child. But I, what we practice at One Chapel is post-decision baptism. When you, when you get baptized as a child or as a baby it's pre-decision baptism and those are beautiful ceremonies but there's something that the new testament practices with in in front of the community with giving god everything identifying with death Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. And so you, what baptism is, is a picture. Okay, I'm giving it all. I'm surrendering it all. I'm not taking all of it. I'm not taking any of it. I'm going to give everything. I'm going to lose my life so I can save it. So Jesus will save it. That's what baptism is. And some of you need to do that this week. We need to Follow the example set by Jesus. I'll send you all these notes later this week so you can, some of you who are really intent can fill in those blanks because you just can't leave without them filled. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head. I want you to think about what we've talked about today and, and where you are in the way that you follow Jesus? Do you just follow him until it's convenient, as long as it's convenient or until it gets hard? Do you just follow him until it seems unpopular? Are there things that get in the way of you following him? And whatever they are, would you be willing to give them to him today? Would you be willing to surrender them? To just yield, to just say, I give up. I mean, you're, it's interesting. You're here. There's a crowd of people. You're in, you're in any number of places within your, you know, pursuit of him. But what I can tell you is he's pursuing you. He's reaching out to you. He's calling you today to hear his voice and to surrender. Maybe it's something going on in your marriage and you just need to surrender it and stop making it the reason you're not willing to follow. Or or maybe it's your career and you've got to decide whether or not you're going to serve the career or serve God. Maybe it's the fact that you just spend all your free time on yourself and it's time for you to learn and grow and to serve others. Maybe that's what's happening here today. And so I'm just gonna ask you very directly, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you forward. I don't care if you've been a Christian for years or if you've never identified, self-identified as a Christian, but today you realize I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to live for something greater than myself. I want to live for something greater than what's been going on in my life. I, I want to lift my eyes beyond myself. And I want to follow Jesus in a more intentional way in a more willing way. Now I know I'm talking to some of you who are Christians. So I'm not talking about getting saved. most Most of you have salvation settled. What we're talking about is really making him Lord. But whether or not it's about salvation or about Lordship today, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, every eye just closed... Just, just nobody looking around, I just want you to, to say this, like, yes, I respond to what God is doing in my life, and you just shoot your hand up and say, "Yep, yeah, pastor, pray for me, pray for me, I'm, this is me, I want to follow, I want to make a difference in 2016, I want 2016 to be different in my life than 2015 was. I want to follow you more closely, and I've been lagging behind. I'm going to follow close. I'm going to give up everything. Who else? Who else? People all over the room. Yeah, don't hesitate. Just let it. Just we're going to take this moment. We're going to just allow ourselves a moment to just say yes and surrender. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Remember the, the, the way Jesus said it. No one who is ashamed or embarrassed will be received by my Father. This is like a moment where you're just like, yes, I'm going to do this. All right, anybody else? Anyone else? yep no wait another moment because people keep lifting their hands it's so good see it's God doing his work in us and finally we're like yes and this is kind of a microcosm for life because he keeps calling he keeps asking he keeps drawing and we keep going kind of, oh I'll just, no maybe oh no oh okay yes could I encourage you <laughs> no more resistance only yieldedness all right all over the room put your hands down come on let's pray this prayer together Heavenly Father, yeah, everybody together. It's not really about the words, it's about your heart, but I want you to pray it with me. Everybody say it in the room. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for insisting on my own way, going on my own path. Forgive me for selfishness. I yield, I surrender. Would you wipe away my past? Would you wipe the slate clean? Would you give me a new start? Today, I choose you. I follow you. I make you the Lord of my life. The king, the one in charge. I give my life to you. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I receive your grace, and I receive your life. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just say it again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All over the room, Lord, we're losing our lives. We're giving up. We're surrendering control. We're yielding for 2016. We're deciding on a different course than we've been on. We're, we're giving up our own designs and desires. And Lord, we ask you to come with your life, with your strength and your power. And even in the midst of the adversity that we may face because of this decision, we have decided to follow Jesus. We have decided regardless of the implications. We have decided regardless... Of the pushback, we've decided to follow you. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.